Your nose is to the grindstone, day after day. You spend your work hours overworked and underappreciated, only to return home and deal with bills, landlords, and the ever-oppressive shadow of capitalism consuming you and everything you love. The horrors of capitalism are the horrors we all face, and they are confronted head-on in Pearl Iscariot, tales of horror and class warfare. Contained within are 19 tales of capitalism gone wrong, from designer children to deadly bosses, predatory lenders to plague-ridden laborers, stories from the dark imaginations of Haley Piper, Laurel Hightower, Joanna Koch, and many more. You won't want to miss it. Pearl Iscariot, coming International Workers' Day, May 1st. Here at HorrorOasis.com, we are advocates of the horror genre and strive to amplify underrepresented voices in the horror community. This space is for indie artists to promote their work. Please enjoy your stay, and hopefully it's not your last. To Dead Headspace, part of Silver Shamrock's Horrorcast, a podcast network that includes Killing Time with Silver Shamrock and Unburying the Dead, where we exhume classic horror paperbacks for the new generation. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Ghana, YouTube, and all other major platforms. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we're talking with the managing editor, Christoph Paul. Say hi, Christoph. Hey, everybody. And uh, editor-in-chief, Lisa Cantoral. Say hi, Lisa. Hey there. Of Clash Books. This is for both of you. Answer whoever wants to go first. Uh, By all means, what got you into horror? I'll take this one first. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I loved horror from the get-go. I always say my, even though we publish a lot of different stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, my heart has always been in horror and rock and roll. I feel like those were the first two loves I found. Uh, Tales from the Crypt, the TV show got me, and then Fear Street. I feel like those are the two, you know, R.L. Stein and Tales, like R.L. Stein and books and Tales from the Crypt on TV. And I was like, I just loved horror ever since really discovering those two, you know, media properties, so to speak. And I, I just, like, it's always been a staple of my life since then. I'm just, you know, I'm a horror nerd and, you know, I, I like other things, but my heart's, like I always say, my heart's always with horror and rock and roll. <laughs> um, I, I actually was a total pussy about horror when I was little. I was just, I got so scared so fast. Um, you know, Disney was my big threshold, um, being like into Maleficent. I was Ugh. like, Oh, she's cool. Um, <laughs> I want to be bad, you know, cause then nobody can hurt me if I'm bad and I don't care. 
Um, but I didn't get into like horror movies and horror literature until college when um, a friend uh, kind of got me into all that stuff. And he was really into like the, the 30s vintage horror and 70s and um, kind of exposed me to a lot of the class- classics, Matheson. I'd grown up with Bradbury before, but mm-hmm. he's kind of all over the place. Um, but like Argento, it was more for me film that resonated more than writing. Um, Argento and um, the classic 30s, like Hammer, hammer Horror in the 70s and, and 30s, like the monster, monster horror um, and uh, stuff like Khodorovsky, which I had been exposed to before uh, prematurely, actually. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, that kind of like extreme gore and um, kind of like lyrical insanity that made me fall in love with it. And it just, it resonated with, with my heart. Do you guys have a favorite universal monster? Um, I think mine is the Wolfman just because of mm. uh, Lon Chaney. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, it's like a metaphor for alcoholism, which mm-hmm. I don't know if it was purposeful because I know he had a substance abuse problem. But I think it was like in his acting style, you can see him kind of really going through like a internal therapy session of just like grappling with the psychology of his addiction and that monster, and I relate a lot to that monster. Not that I'm an alcoholic, but I definitely have, um, like, an addictive personality. So I understand that dark side, and I understand when, like, you just feel like it's a runaway train, and then you wake up the next morning, and you're like, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. And then you're like, wait, no, that was me, and I did do that. And you don't know where to go from there. Before Christoph answers, I'd like to... to talk about that for a second that's my answer too the wolfman it always has been ever since i saw the film as a kid i never realized you just pinpoint it like i i got an addictive personality too when i used to smoke cigarettes i mean as there was a lot of cigarettes smoked and uh yeah they really <laughs> Which is are crazy i was i was an ex-smoker too and they're they're brutal i yeah. still smoke even though i quit yeah <laughs> i drink still but super rarely but when i did it wasn't good um and now i I replaced it with eden and i'm right there with you but i never thought of that but more specifically lunch um cheney well got my words all mixed up (laughs) he's he's an interesting one he's oh he's like the man of a thousand faces i'm wondering if he kind of felt therapy when he put on a different mask quite literally it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Well, his dad was the man of a thousand faces. Um, he, His dad was... Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of Junior. Well, it's crazy because his dad was the legend. Yeah. And he became an amazing actor as well. Yeah, yeah. His dad was the man of a thousand... His dad would put himself through these, like, torturous makeup situations. Like, he wanted to go all in, hardcore. Mm. He would put himself through all kinds of shit. Um and he was he was revolutionary in a lot of his performances. Um, was it the man who laughs? And I, I don't know. He was in so many things. But um, yeah, Lon Chaney kind of met. A, it's weird. Uh, what's that movie? Spider Baby. Um, that was at the end of Lon Chaney's career. He's kind of like old, and you can see he's kind of like beat up and shit. 
Um, and what's his name? Sid Haig is in it when he's young. Mm, and yeah. it's such a bizarre quote. Wait, what's that called? What's the movie called? Spider Baby. You, have, you haven't seen Spider Baby? No, and I love Sid Haig, right. so I gotta check uh, that out. Um, but it's clearly like Rob Zombie. He obviously drew from. Uh, what's his name? Toby Hooper. But mm-hmm. he also drew a lot from the, this yeah, is like, it's like a fucked up family. Yeah. Um, Spider baby is like this, it's black and white, which they weren't even doing at that time anymore, but it was cheaper. Um, and it's just creepy. It's like, it's seventies, but it has that like fifties, it's like fifties to seventies, like cross. And, um, Sid Haig plays like a mentally challenged, uh, sibling of the family. Um, but yeah, it's really sad seeing, seeing, um, what's his name in it is you can tell he's, he's like at the end, like he, he, the, the alcoholism like clearly got the better of him. And it's really sad because I do think that I think a lot of actors find therapy in the work they do, but at the same time, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, mm. um, where it's like you feel maybe a momentary release, but then like the movie's done and you're back with your problems. Yeah. Well said. Um, Christoph, what about you, Ben? I mean, I feel like there's like multiple answers to this. The first thing that popped in my head, and I want to share that, though I don't consider it a universal monster, is the blob. Oh. No. With that. Um, but. I feel like uh, the something about like a pri- pri- primordial ooze, you know, it's like goes back to our like, evolutionary, like supposedly we come from like, you know, kind of a primordial ooze ourselves. And it's just something about the blob being eaten alive by acidic, <laughs> acidic goo from another, also from another planet too. So you, you have the alien. You can't like logic with it you can't there's talk no, to it yeah. there's no reasoning it, with it. it is kind of this lovecraftian thing uh that always spooks me i guess though with like the universal it'd be a toss-up between a vampire and a zombie so what lugosi what's the zombie no it's <laughs> calling you out <laughs> no 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 not no you've been talking about universal horror like universal horror movies like the universal studio yeah no movies. i'm saying that um, I would say probably a vampire at, at the so core. So that's Lugosi. Yeah, I would say Lugosi. You like Lugosi? He's okay. I mean, I'm thinking of Universal. <laughs> I'm not thinking of the fucking like NBC property. I'm thinking <laughs> more of the grand. I mean, I don't think that was specified though. This is what happens when you get a married couple on. We're gonna. This play. is why we. This is why we throw that blanket. Take it any way you want. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know which way it's going to go. Claude Rains as the Invisible Man is a close second. He, like, killed, killed, killed it. That's a good choice. Yeah, I would say... uh, I would say vampire or zombie. I would say a zombie... I'm thinking of the deeper sense of universal, like, monster, like... That we all know of, that's in like our psyches, and there is yeah, something. Yeah, I mean the vampire has been going and going. There for is a something. While, you like zombies? You yeah, actually zombies like zombies. are fucking cool. Like I think they really tap into something about death, and I think that is why we love horror. It is a safe way to think and meditate about death, and zombies really challenge the whole idea of what death means. Yeah, you know it. it and it, vampires. And vampires do too. It's just diff- they're, they're kind of. 
sides of the same coin, vampires and zombies. They're both brains or blood, you know? I mean, and that's what keeps them alive. So I I like, I guess I I like the, I like the, the hunters, so Mm. to speak, for when it comes to monsters. It's interesting. What about you, Brennan? What's, what's my favorite universal monster? Literally, I don't need, Christoph took it such a, (laughs) see, no, I, I have a soft spot for the creature from the Black Lagoon, but I don't have like an answer with like depth to it. Like all you guys, Christoph, that's a great one. You know, I like the, you like the ones that, you know, explore death and, uh, the hunters and, you know, uh, Lisa with your, your answer being that kind of, uh, um, uh, not parable, but, you know, metaphor, I suppose, for alcoholism. Um, I was going to throw out, too, I don't know if anybody's read it, but uh, Josh Mailerman had a really cool story in Miscreations called One Last Transformation that really leans into that uh, werewolf as an addict. You know, I can I can quit this anytime I want to, but, hey, maybe just once more. Right. Um, so I kind of like the creature from the Black Lagoon because I always felt like he was on the outskirts. He's the one that doesn't get, you know, as much attention as your Frankenstein and your Dracula and your uh, Wolfman. Yeah, I love the creature because and, and the way that movie is made is just so lyrical and, and atmospheric and quiet and beautiful. And I actually even like the sequels, even though they get subsequently like trashier and stranger. <laughs> Um, and I've got nothing against Trashy and Strange. I love Trashy and Strange. Um, but the first one is just so pure and beautiful. And, and you feel for the creature, same as with Frankenstein, but it's kind of more, I don't know, something about that creature. It can't even talk or anything. And you just, you can understand what it's feeling, even though it never speaks a word. And to me, that is amazing storytelling as well as filmmaking. And I think that story is ageless. It's always going to resonate. Mm. Yeah, there you go. You put it way better than I did. Um, Lisa, I want to actually go back to something you said a couple minutes ago. You know, when you were describing uh, kind of falling in love, I think it was with the movies. You used the term lyrical insanity for for one reason, you know, why you enjoyed that. I wonder if you could expand on that. Um, I, I would say that that is with Argento. With, um, you know, Argento's... Uh, I mean... Uh, all of them, but, uh, you know, Deep Red, Inferno, um, Phenomena, uh, what was the one in the, in the opera hall? Um, uh, what is that one? It's just the way that the visuals and the music and the themes were all combined. Um, the style of his kills just really, it made me fall in love with murder in a way that I had never felt before <laughs> because, and, and it was so fascinating hearing that he actually did all those scenes cause he didn't trust anybody else to do it properly. So every time you see a beautiful woman getting killed in an Argento movie, he's doing it. So you're like, this is at the hands of the master and you see how killing is an art and how he made it an art. Um, with the music, the swelling music, and it's just very over the top, you know, but when all the elements come together, it's, it's like a symphony. It's a symphony of, of boobs and death. And it's just, it's gorgeous. You guys, uh, you guys fans of Alfred Hitchcock, because that's how I feel about his work. Yeah. Yeah. I love Hitchcock. I grew up watching Hitchcock. I had like, my mother was a, a film student 
so she she had me watch like the artsy shit. So she like she's not big on horror or or slapstick comedy. She's like, oh, slapstick comedy. What? <laughs> dreadful. You can't just laugh to laugh. What? That's horrible. You have to sit and think about it for 20 million years and watch an Avery Bergman movie about it. Um, but the nice thing was I did watch some Hitchcock and, and, you know, Fellini and Charlie Chaplin and whatever other stuff. But yeah, I love Hitchcock. I think Hitchcock is like, he is the perfect line between like classy and like marketable art that is just like, okay, here's the shit, here's the story, but it's like, oh, this is artfully done. This is, there's some thought that went into this, but still he's hitting those beats. It's like suspense he's building the story great storyteller he, he loves fucking with the yeah. audience he's just like got you yeah. by the strings he's like oh you think you're going this way psych you're going that way like he's amazing you yeah. know scarface got an x rating for the shower scene when it's a close-up of uh, al pacino's eye and just blood spurts on spurts on his face they never show the person being killed. And then, like, what is it, 40 years before that? Not 40, 20 or 30 years before that, uh, you got Hitchcock's Psycho, where it's kind of the same thing, but he got away with it. It's uh, I never thought about it until we were talking about that. That's kind of that's He weird. narrowly got away with it. There was He got a lot of shit for it. Oh, I'm sure. We're like, yeah. oh, this is, this is really... He's like, guys, what are you actually yeah. seeing? Like... And you don't realize it because the thing is that he realizes is, and it's true for writing too. You are the reader is filling in those gaps. Mm-hmm. So good art does not just—it's like Penthouse versus Playboy, or even more Penthouse versus like Betty Page, like pinup shit. Like, are you gonna just show the whole thing? Or are you going to leave some mystery? Because the reader and the seer, they're going to be filling that in. And Hitchcock knew that that is the images that the viewer is going to make in their head are so much more powerful and intense than anything he could show. So the power just endures. I think the big thing about horror and I think why it's very, you have people as somebody who edits and loves to read horror, but you notice there's more of a fan base for film I think horror is at its strength through sound. I remember actually even hearing um, uh, Stephen King's uh, son. Uh, his name Joe is Hill. Joe Hill. Thank you, Joe Hill, who's a horror, amazing horror writer. I mean, just I, I think Nosferatu is like uh, one of the best horror books in the recent, you know, this this century. But he said that like sound is such a big part of horror. Yeah, you know, exactly. think of. You think of that that well, shower Gento scene, and, and, you know, yeah, and Psycho, and, yeah. and that scene with the, the the that just sound of the knife. And I think with writing, you know, we have to like it's weird that horror is they, they think it's like prose doesn't matter, but I think you actually have to to stand out. Actually, have to have the prose really do something to make up for that lack of sound and eeriness. Well, for prose, it's it's rhythm, rhythm and, and voice and voice and atmosphere. Yeah, and that plays such a huge role in horror um, that has to fill it in. Art just you know it's missing something that film can just put a cool. I it mean, has to be visceral. Like even Friday the Thirteenth, which is you know just straight up slasher. Yeah. <laughs> 
that does so much yeah. for that film, you know. I I think that that just sound alone made it a classic horror, you know, just with that sound and those kills. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I like to really talk about visceral. What that means to you two as um, publishers, because when I started writing, uh, really focusing on writing, it was like eight years ago. Yeah, I didn't think about that stuff for the first few years. I was finding my voice so. Perhaps newer writers are going to listen to this, and I think it'd be beneficial for them. So if you guys don't mind, what, what does visceral writing mean to the two of you? I'll take this one first. I mean, I think it's like, you know, whatever genre it is, but I think horror, most important, importantly, it is having that commanding voice that's like, all right, I'm taking you on a fucking journey, and you're going to get fucked up on this journey but I'll, I'll i'll protect you but we're going on it and you might not like it at times and it's i need that voice from the get-go you know i read a lot of submissions i've probably read over i don't even know 3,500 5,000 submissions like doing since we've done this press so i start seeing what works for me and what doesn't as you know a reader um and it's just it's that command of voice it's a character that's a memory. It's like a weird combination of a couple different things, a, a, a really interesting character that I start to care about. A lot of times you, a good trick they can use is they have a flaw and like they need to overcome that flaw to survive and get what they want. So you have like psychology happening. You have the lyricalism, um, you know, visceral. I mean, I think of a good example of somebody like we published with like Brendan Vedetto with his short stories. It was just like they were they were lyrical, but they were so unsettling and they painted a gruesome picture. And that always happens to me. I think like Brian Keene is very good at doing that in a different style. Like you can have like Brendan, it's like a symphony. Mm. And you, Brian Keene, who's and I guess I'm a musician, so I think of it like that. You know, Brian Keene's kind of playing good old fashioned rock and roll. Yeah. But they're doing the same thing. You know, you have uh, uh, Edward Lee, who's playing like fucking death metal, you know, <laughs> but they're all kind of they're 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 giving you a song that you have to keep listening to. And that is hard to describe. Like, I, I can't just say oh, it's this this ingredient with that. You just kind of know it when you see it, you know, and and it, I think it comes from reading a lot, you know, being able to do that. I mean, I, I got to talk to Edward Lee and, you know, he reads the classics, you know, this guy that writes some of the <laughs> most horrific shit I've ever read in my life. That shit would like make Marquis de Sade go, damn, this guy's fucked up. <laughs> you know? Edward Lee is just, he does, what he does with the grotesque is, is beautiful. I mean, that's, you know, and humorous, but still there, you know, and, it, and it's just this gruesome shit, but you're like, Man, I'm I'm captivated. And I think it's just making me feel captivated. Where I'm like, okay, I gotta keep going with this even if I'm discomforted. Isn't it wonderful isn't it wonderful to explore that? Like you're not hurting anyone. And there's some people that get offended that you I, I brought this up on I was talking with someone on Twitter today about how I've only self published a book before. It's I took it off. Like it's shit. But when it was uh, back in twenty fourteen and I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and yeah. I was looking for freelance editors. So I just asked, uh, you know, a few questions. Do you like horror was the first one, because why would I get someone that doesn't? Yeah. And this one guy asked me, why would you read that? Do you like to see people hurt stuff? So it's it's strange when you have that mindset, but 
we're all like-minded in the sense where yeah. you know we're explore the dark alleys it's it's therapeutic it's healthy yeah it's and it can be beautiful yeah yeah i mean i um i would say for horror i i think just really good thorough descriptions are what does it like you want to really you want to really say what things smell like what they taste like what they feel like um and if it is um psychological horror which I would hope it would be to some degree um, to be interesting. Um, you want to show that too. And and that's why, you know, back to Brendan, that's why I liked his stuff because not only was it beautifully written, but um, you really were going through a dark emotional journey with his characters. So, you know, the things that were happening, you know, they were well described and everything, but None of that would mean anything if I didn't know who this stuff was happening to, you know. Yeah, I, I would mention one more thing, and I, not to do a plug, but like a book we have coming out. Dementia. Plug away. Plug everything you want, man. Yeah, you... Really proud of it. Dementia. And, you know, we worked on it. You know, I think that's the thing as a publisher. You know, people are very unsure of how it works you know and this i would use this book as an example dementia we it's got, his first book we, it's his first book we got russell, it russell russell co and i was just like i was just i fell in love with the first 10 pages and i was just like this is like what i want in a horror book and it was hard to sustain it though so i was like you know this will need some work and I was, but I was like, I was so gripped by the voice and the story and the character that I was like, I'm willing to put in the work if this guy is, you know, I'll do three edits, I'll do four drafts, you know, I think that's the thing for young writers. We'll, we actually, we want to fall in love with a new voice and it's mm. harder to sell a new voice. And if we really do fall but in love, we'll do the work. We'll do the, I mean, I can't say that for every press, but like, we'll do the work to like coach somebody up where if I just see raw talent that needs a little coaching and a little, Hey, you know, do this, do that. Cause I, you edit enough, you can kind of see where things need to get fixed, like a, like a doctor. Mm. And you know, that was a really gratifying experience. And you know, that book's coming out in like, I think like two weeks. So by the time this is out, you know, it will be out. And it's just, you know, it's those things. So it's having that voice, it's having that story. And horror is about storytelling. We're not doing literary fiction. So I, I don't, you know, we don't need to just sit around and talk about life or, you know, oh, I've, I'm cheating on my wife with a 20-year-old girl. Like, we don't need literary, we're not doing literary fiction tropes. We want a story that's gripping and a character we care about and a voice that kind of can put me under a spell. I think those are the three yeah. magic ingredients that I need to want to publish a horror book. And if yeah. one's missing, if the voice is, mi voice is missing, it's going to be really hard for me to want to get behind it. Yeah. I think there's, you know, but in horrors, you know, there's people that are like, hey, if the story, it, yeah, if the story is good enough, I'm into we voice. can work on the voice. But well, it's really, I wouldn't say that. I think we're very voice-centered. I, I don't, yeah. you can't teach that. Yeah, shit, you can't, though. no, you, we're very voice-centered. You can teach story structure and all that. Yeah. You can't teach voice and So we, we do care about style, yeah. you know, in horror. Like, style is important to us. I think in some horror presses, style is not important. And I'm fine with that. I can enjoy, I'm a horror nerd and fan, so I can enjoy a book that's just like, very meat and potatoes prose if you're telling me an amazing story but it must be an amazing gripping story and you need to have a right rhythm at least for that so right. I, I love like nabokov yeah and the she's French more literary so yeah. i like really care about yeah. language and atmosphere a lot like more yeah. than story 
but it's like, you know, I think of like stories like The Ruins, you know, that just gripped me. Um, oh, what's that one uh, with the kids and the worms? Oh, man, The Troop. Do you, I you know, oh, yeah. I, I haven't read that. Oh, Nick man. Cutter? Yeah, yeah, Nick Cutter, a.k.a. Craig Davidson. Yeah, you were, you were going crazy. I was just like, man, you. this is fucking awesome. Like, it could have just, it was this. It, the voice was good. I loved his voice, but it was a story. I was just like, holy shit, this is fucked up. I got to just keep reading. <laughs> you know, I, I can I can get into it. And Dementia was by Russell Coe, yeah. C-O-Y, just oh, in boy. case. Coy? Oh, my yeah. apologies. Uh, yeah. it, well, he said. It's my bad. Yeah. C-O-Y. C-O-Y. Because yeah. if you heard that real quick, Coe, it kind of, you could kind of mix it up with Russell Crowe. <laughs> Yeah. You got Russell Crowe? <laughs> I would read a Russell Crowe horror book just to fucking see. Yeah, it'd probably be That right. dude looks like a demented guy. I bet you he could write a, a fucked up bad, probably bad, but I, I would be curious to see Russell Crowe writing a horror book. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> worth it just to read it. Brennan, go ahead, buddy. I was just going to say, you know, it, hear, hearing that, you know, when you guys look at manuscripts, um, that you're you're looking at the different components that make it up, and you know, willing to work with with authors who have that promise, you know. And of course, depending what angle it comes from, that's so incredibly encouraging. And it's it's really kind of the nice aspect of indie publishers is looking for you know that great voice, that great storyteller, but also being willing to kind of help them on their journey in order to you know. This is me putting words in your mouth, but there's a selfishness to it because you want to read great stories. And if you see that the potential is there, uh, then why not, you know, use what you've learned in the industry to to nurture it? Um, so I guess my question is, how how often is that the case that you're, you know, taking on new voices that you feel like you can shape versus you just find really something that pretty much works and just needs a little bit of guidance. Yeah, that's a good question. Like I would use an example of something like 50%. I feel like it's like 50, 50, I, I think, like 50%, you know, like, okay. A great example, Charlene Ellsby, who put a book. Yeah. Texas you, you Love. Can't mess with other stuff. It was like, it's not storytelling. It's all about the voice. It's all about the voice. It's all about the voice. And I'm like, I, I, if I, I, I I'll fuck this up if I mess with it. And it's a different, but it's a different kind of thing. It's not like straightforward storytelling. She's doing, she's but like, are, are the, breaking all the, the rules. The last big breakouts we had before the ska book, um, uh, Tia Hase's uh, Life of the Party. Well, that's not horror, but, but yeah. Well, whatever, but yeah. working on books. Greg well, Mania. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's horror. Greg, if you, you get, whatever you guys publish. Both of those books, we saw so much potential okay. in these people I, and I the voices. I want to answer it like this. So I think. And this is a deeper thing about publishing. I think what's happening, and this is an important thing I feel like I'm about to say, the small press is now taking on the job of what agents used to do. And agents used to do this shit. Agents used to be like, oh, man, I like that this guy's really got something. This is like 20 years ago, and I know this to writers who have become publishers themselves, like, like Kaylee Jones, who does more literary fiction. But they'd be like... You know, agents are these kind of unsung heroes. They still do that, but it's honestly more for genres that can make a lot of fucking money. <laughs> and they're not going to do that as much, I think, with horror. You're going to see that more from small presses. But it's like, you know, now agents are just so much looking for the sure thing, you know. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, they're looking for the grand slam. 
So anything that's not a grand slam, like, ah, I'm going to leave it alone. So yeah. we're, you know, we don't have that money or panache, you know, to, to, to you know. We're get, just looking for anything that's going to be exciting. We're looking for something capitalist. Yeah. And I'm, I'm more than happy if I feel it's worth it. I also have to feel it's worth it um, to do that because that's time and effort and money because we freelance, you know, and that's money out of our pockets. But there's no guarantee that the book's going to sell. So we're sell. basically working for free. So we're kind of t- well, unless, unless the book sells. We think if the, in the, if we think the book can sell, if it doesn't sell at all, then we're just we have to money. feel like if we fix it up, there's going to be an audience for this yeah. to some degree, or there's going to be. A liter like for literary fiction, it's like this can be special. Maybe an award, yeah, an or award or something. So we are looking. For, I mean, something. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's like fifty fifty, and yeah. I I enjoy it. Like I actually like. I'm an editor at heart. I like to edit. Yeah, he loves editing. I actually he enjoy. Genuinely loves editing. It's just reading with. It's just like a reading with a video game. You know, that's how I look at it. I'm like, oh, it's like I can I can fix this and make this better while reading. So I I enjoy the process of that. I like. I think of it as being a producer. Uh, for music, you know, the producers fixing songs up and they, yeah. they go, oh, maybe you, try you this. You find the talent and you So if I see out. something that's like 75% there yeah. or a voice that I'm like, hey, this this guy's got really got something. Let's let's take a flyer on them, see if they can really do something. We'll, we'll do it. Yeah. That's interesting. I've never heard anyone say it's like a video game. That's a great analogy. Um, Brennan, what do you, you got anything for that, man? That's all I was doing on that as well. That kind of like interactive aspect of it where, you know, uh, you're not just you're not just watching a movie. You're, you know, interacting with the environment and you're able to kind of uh, bend it to your will to certain extents. Um, that's you know, I'm with Patrick. That's that's really cool. Um, Patrick, actually, unless you have something to add, I kind of want to take us back to how Clash Books started. That's where my mind's at, too. Yep. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I feel like there's... This is my favorite question. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying? Audio I'll, listeners, Eliza's like, holding a finger I'll, gun I'll, to I'll her head. I feel we like, have like a million different answers. Yeah, so. I mean, I feel like we, we started as a website, um, and it was kind of a... What's that word when a bunch of people are doing it? Um, Collaboration? Collective. Yeah, it's like a collective. Yeah. And this one dude kind of started as a collective, and I edited this first book. And I was like, hey, man, I yeah, really that was like the first book. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. And I'm like, I really like editing. I'd like to do this. And he was more into film. And then like the, the website kind of evolved into publishing, which I would say really cemented itself in like 2017. And we had this thing where I like I liked I, you guys are getting the point. I, I really like reading. You know, I'm, I'm just a reader at heart. And I like to read different things. Like I say, you know, my heart's with horror and rock and roll. But I listen to pop music. I like literary fiction. Um, and so we just kind of had the mentality. You know, we knew we were going to publish horror and maybe some bizarro stuff. You know, we both come a little bit from that school, too. But we were like, hey, if it's a good book and we're interested in it, we're not going to worry about genre, you know. Um, and it's kind of worked out well because we publish a lot. But they're only, you know, we'll publish like five horror titles a year, five literary fiction titles a year, five poetry and maybe three or four nonfiction. So it, it's like we're publishing a lot, but we're really just specializing in the best of the best, what we feel it is, you know, and there's a lot of awesome books in the small press world and the big press world. Um, so I would say like in the, you know, the website, 
And we, we're hitting like a milestone like today. We're about to hit 5,000 paper and cap we just books. just got another order. Uh, Congratulations. You know, thank you. So we're like three away now. Yeah, we're like two, <laughs> two, two away from hitting 5,000. And it's, it's just cool. You know, people, we, we focused on selling books on the website. You know, and I, I learned there's a different readership. Like I noticed horror, horror readers really like, they like ebooks. you know. They'll, they're happy to just read the story on ebook. Literary fiction people not into ebooks they want that paperback yeah. and it's an interesting you see the different tribes and we're, we're kind of weird in that we're part of all these different tribes you know we're part of the horror world we're part of the literary fiction world part of the poetry world and the non-fiction world and um we just kind of keep evolving with it and not worrying though though next year i notice we're going to have a lot of horror titles 20 22 just the way it's worked out we're gonna have like a half of our titles will be horror which is interesting yeah i mean it's not surprising yeah. i mean i i would say that um you know when clash first started it was very male dominated and um like i remember the first anthology i edited uh true detective stories inspired by true detective he came up with that that was the first antho of the press and i was just they had already, you know, he'd already accepted all the stories. Yeah, it was, was already all decided. This, from another so I, I didn't have any part in yeah. that process, but I had to copy edit it. And I came up with the Tragedy Queens anthology, and I was like, and I told you, I was like, I, I have, we gotta have at least fifty percent women on this. And, that was and good. you're like, well, I don't know, I don't know if you're gonna be able to do that. I'm like, well. <laughs> We're going to do it. You know what? Um, I, we have to. I I'm ate, sorry. I ate crow because we got 80% women, you know, yeah. that submitted to it. So it was a good learning I rejected lesson. a lot of men, though. A yeah. lot of men submitted, and I rejected yeah. a lot of men, and I only accepted the men that were fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the women that were awesome, too, but, like, I really enjoyed rejecting men. It's so weird because men have so much confidence. They, the, the most talentless men are so cocky they're like they're the oh, loudest look at, look at my shit <laughs> and the most talented women are so shy and they'll wait years before it's they true. submit this is true or they I won't admit. they won't even submit unless they're asked and i did ask i went out and i asked certain women that i was excited about their writing um to submit so i i sought out certain people um but you know, it, it ended up being 70% women and, uh, or more 80, yeah. I don't know, 80. And, and after tragedy Queens, um, we started to get really interesting submissions. That's yeah. when Lindsay Lerman submitted. I'm from nowhere. And after her Charlene with hexes, um, and a bunch of, you know, Tia, um, because they saw with tragedy queens, oh, you are interested in dark yeah. female narratives. And it, and you it want was this, mostly... and it's not something people want. And these are some of these women. Sh uh, you know, Lindsay had been querying agents and stuff, and she would get rejection letters like, "This is really good, but you know, this is really good, but we already are publishing yeah. our sad Watch girl of the year. Right. Sorry, <laughs> you know, you we have we have fulfilled our sad girl quota. You know, no more depressing woman shit." Or, you know, there's not enough of, who knows, whatever the problem was. So we are kind of in that middle zone where it's like, we want these difficult stories if they are told in a beautiful, yeah. evocative way. And bigger publishers, they might not feel this is marketable 
you know, so we're like, hey, we'll take your garbage. You know, your garbage is our fucking yeah. gold. I feel you know? like we kind of have a yin yang thing going on with class. And I think that's when we got to really be our best is when it kind of came down with Lisa and myself. And I think that's when the magic really started. And you know, it converted me. Tragedy Queens really converted me. And I was like, you know, I want more of this. Mm-hmm. I want more of this, too. And Tragedy Queens, I would say, is like, I would say probably 50% of it is horror. Yeah. You know, even though we market it, and that's a whole thing I, I, I could get yes, into with you know. later. Uh, I'll tell a fun story in a second. Like, we, it's half of it's horror, but we didn't market it as horror. No. But... We kind of like, because we're, we're part of these different worlds. Like, we'll go to Brooklyn. Well, it's Book- not all horror. No, it's half of it's horror, though, you know. Yeah. But we, like, go to Brooklyn Book Festival. And this is a great they thing. They don't like horror. They hate horror. No. They're fucking hipster Brooklyn people. You know They're what like, I mean? Like, no, horror. horror, no. Yeah. So this is what I do when Gross. we go to Brooklyn Book Festival. Oh, yeah, this is dark literary fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Let me check this out. It's the same shit. It's yeah. fucking horror. But you know what I mean? It's like horror is like such a fun thing because it's like it's the fans. If you're like, hey, man, here's horror. Hell fucking yeah. I love horror. But you then you have the like the snooty literary people. Well, then there's horror fans that are like, I only want extreme well, horror shit. That's fine. Though. We like, have then that they're like, too. well, this is not horror enough. You know? Yeah, that's a that's a minority of horror. I think most horror fans just like horror when when all said and done. Well, there's different styles. But, you, you know. That's the thing I've learned. Literary fiction people love horror, but for whatever reason... They don't want to say they do. They feel guilty about yeah. liking anything... Because it's trashy. ...trashy or whatever, but they like it too. It's yeah. a fun genre. Horror is the best genre... It's the melting pot. ...at dealing with what the blues deals with. This is sex and spiritual and physical danger. That's the blues, you know? And horror and really blues <laughs> are injured fucking spirits, you know? It's like, oh shit, uh, something really tragic's about to happen to me. Uh... My, I, you know, survive and replicate. That's like the Darwinian truth, you know. Have a kill, have a kid kill or be and don't killed. get killed. You kill know, those are killed. the two basic roots of existence. And horror always is dealing with that. It is always sex and survive, you know, one form or another. And horror does that better than all these other genres. But it's in our heads, or not my head, but other people, you know, Especially in Brooklyn, they're like, "Oh no, I, I I don't read horror. I read important books that the New York <laughs> Times is." And I, I I get that, you know, I I have an MFA. I I know that world very well. So. But then horror people are like, "Oh, literary fiction is boring." Yeah, and it goes the other extreme. And I don't think you know. I my philosophy is that you know it shouldn't be either. And I'd like yeah. to see just no borders with all of this. And I think that's what we do with Clash. You know, it's not about genre. It's about stories and voices. Yeah. That are compelling. I do think at, at our a bigger goal we have is to bring people together. Yeah. You know, we like that horror people kind of know the literary people. We're kind of Constantinople, so to speak, like that place in Turkey where, you know, Europe and Asia would kind of like have to deal with each other. I kind of like think of class as that where yeah. the literary world and the poets kind of deal with the horror. And we publish a lot of horror poetry, you know. Yeah, I love So it's poetry. kind of like we like bringing that the worlds that don't want to be together a little yeah. bit more together, yeah, you know? to appreciate each other. That's kind of a, a a weird goal, I guess we do have. Yeah, it's definitely a goal of mine. Yeah. Um, real quick, speaking about horror poetry, I got a uh, Cena Palio sent me um, into the forest and all the way through. I can't wait for that to hit my door. Nice, nice, um, awesome. I heard her interview with Max on. Uh, ghoulish his podcast and 
I'm not gonna go too deep into that, but that check that episode out if you haven't heard it. Whoever's listening to this, um, so Brooklyn, I've been there once, and I guess I gotta whenever I return there, I gotta uh, start peddling some horror books, just throw them at people, be like, yeah. read it, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> that. Brennan, that's my response. I don't know what else to say to all <laughs> You know, my, my response is, you guys are a goddamn blast. That all came, all of that came from, uh, how did you start the press? And we just got, <laughs> oh, there's so much to take in there. Um, I'm like drowning in follow-ups here. Um, so, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on, and Lisa, you hit it right away, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about it, is Clash, you know, really touts itself as presenting diverse and unique voices. One thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, kind of how you go about that. And you said, we just fucking do it. And we just, um, we, you know, we put our money where our mouth is. You said, I'm going to make this anthology 50% women. And you made it happen. And that, you know, went up like a beacon um, to all the other authors, you know, out there who knew this is a place, you know, that they can send their stuff. We had a conversation. I don't know if you know Jessica Guest. She's a, a horror author. Uh, yeah. She wrote a really cool slasher uh, called Cirque Berserk that came out yeah. last year. She's cool. And um, she she had said, you know, we were talking about a subject like this, and she said there's it's, it's so often that you just don't know where you're welcome, you know, to submit um, – your stuff where you know where people say they're looking for diverse voices and they're pretty much just saying that to look good or you know um hate to say fit in but fit in versus the people who who really mean it and are willing to take a chance on your story so beyond that you know what what do you guys do to really promote diverse voices and and just make sure that you're putting it all out there. I mean, I think honestly, it's the same as what happened with tragedy Queens. I think people who are looking to submit to us, they look through our catalog and, um, early on, um, you know, I, I think I was a lot more focused on getting female voices and that mattered to me as a female publisher and writer. Um, and, uh, Christoph was very, um, uh, passionate, about representing people of color I think, from the beginning. Yeah. And he he especially, not just people of color, just for the sake of people of color, but um, specifically um, weird, bizarro horror from people of color because we felt, you know, the bizarro and weird fiction scene was just very fucking white and it was boring. Yeah. Um, and we wanted an exciting diversity. We wanted to so, hear those other voices. So he actually made an effort to seek out. Yeah. And I want to re- give a reason why. It was not because I'm like some saint. This was a personal experience. So a job I had when I lived tech, I lived in New York for a little bit before, you know, we moved to New Hampshire and now we're in Troy, but I lived in New York and the only job, the only reason why I was able to have a, a decent job. And I, I was basically a social worker and I would say the I was basically trying to help kids find jobs from 16 to 24. And I'd say 85% and I worked in the Bronx of those kids were black or they, and the other 10% were Hispanic and the white kids I had were crazy. (laughs) That, that, that's, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those kind of gigs. So, but I'd have books and I had, you know, I read, I was reading kind of bizarro and weird stuff at the time. They're like, you know, that's cool, but do you have anything 
by a black person or a person of color. And that stayed with me. So that was a moment um, that really was just like planted a seed, you know? And I always, I was like, really, that's like, huh, you know, this, I like this weird stuff and the horror, but there's less people of color. And, you know, and I work and I mean, I'm, I, I, both jobs I had for like the last four years before, you, before, you know, we moved and all that, I, I was basically the only white guy in the room, you know? I, I mean, I, your job before also. Yeah, I, 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 managed, I managed an adult video store and the clientele was 40 something black men. And that was the guys I spent all my time with. They'd come in and talk to me. So, I, you know, so I'm not, I'm still a white guy. I'm a, you know, a Jewish guy. I honestly guy. think the fact that you grew up in Boca in this kind of like weird environment and you started listening to... Oh, I loved like, hip-hop, too. Hip that played a role, too. And that resonated with you. Yeah, it resonated with me. And I played basketball, so that, you know, so I, I would play with other black people. So I you're mean, like, I want to hear these voices. Yeah, so it was always yeah. like, okay, I feel at home with this, Yeah. you know, and it, so it was somewhat personal. It wasn't like, oh, let me be woke and shit and all yeah. that, and, you know. I mean, I think, honestly, was, a lot of publishing and, you know what... It was a genuine one. I don't honestly care why they're doing it. It's good that there is more yeah. diversity, but I think for the most part, it's white guilt, and they just don't want to look bad. Um, I am I am Hispanic. I know I look white, but I grew up in Mexico. My dad's Mexican. Yeah. But um, uh, you know, we want diversity because we don't want to hear the same damn stories over and over again. You know, it gets old. I'm a depressed white guy in New York. Like, okay. We we heard your story, and, and like, you've been hearing your story since the fucking 1700s. Before yeah. it was Brooklyn, when it was Vienna, and or it's, whatever. Uh, shit, but that's a good know? that's a good thing. But it's not. I'm not anti white guys either. Yeah, I'm a fucking. Yeah, white no. Guy. No, I it's mean, like I would like whatever. to hear stories like like I mentioned dementia. That's kind of coming from a working class white guy yeah. place. I'd like to hear that story. I'm interested in that. I'm not interested in the I'm a white guy in Brooklyn story. You can fucking shoot me before I hear one of those again. <laughs> he hates you know, Brooklyn. I, I went to a shitload of readings when I lived there, and I heard enough fucking white dude Brooklyn stories to to, to fucking want to die. But you know, I want to hear. I want to hear diverse voices, you know, like dementia. It's like, this is a working class dude, you know? I can feel that. Like the way I feel Brian Keene, you, you feel real working class dude, you know? I want that story too. It's not, it's just, I want something that has some personality and authenticity, you know? So I like when I got, we've published a lot of trans writers. I'm like, this is authentic. I'm not hearing this anywhere else. I like something that feels fresh and new. It's, it's not that I'm coming from this, Part of it, yeah, is a moral place and a want, but it's really, I want to hear unique voices. And that's the biggest thing that motivates me. And a lot of times, those tend to be people of color. Not always. Yeah, you no. know. I mean, we that's could get really a submission from somebody of color who's like, gay as all, get out, and it's crap. We're not going to publish it just because yeah. they're super gay. No, I'm not going to publish it. That, then you're a token. I'm not doing that. I mean, what's the point of that? I want just a real, genuine, authentic voice. Yeah. I think it all comes down to that, and it's really not about color for that. No, or race, know, or race, or gender, or gender. It's just be that. But I want, I want people to feel, if you're you know in the minority, you're welcome with us. Yeah. We're going to give you... The, we're gonna look at your shit and give you a fair shot, and we're looking for that, you know. Yeah, that's great. It's fantastic. You know, throw out a few names that come to mind right away: Cena Palayo, uh, S.A. Cosby, Gabino Iglesias, uh, Viola Castro, Haley Piper, Laurel Hightower. I'll stop there. There's way too many more to name, but 
all those names pop up in my head because they all have very unique voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they well, do. Well, Cena's in the first issue of Black Telephone. And I was, uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah her poems were in there. Oh, um, okay. I would, I would love to work. I mean, she's amazing. She's yeah, sh- hell yeah. I can't say enough good things about yeah, her. She's she's the best. Actually, we have an interview coming up. Uh, it should be the next one we post. We did these little interviews of Black Telephone, like little promos me and Lindsay did. So her should be next up. We we did some fun questions with her. That's amazing. Uh, if you remember, I'd love to be tagged in that. I want to. Yeah, yeah uh, posted. I was going to save this for when we talked about what we were reading now, but audio listeners, I'm holding up a uh, hardback copy of Children of Chicago, Cena Palio's latest book through uh, Polis Agora. Um, I bring that up because I, I just messaged her the other day and I was like, I've never said this to any author before, but you remind me, your writing reminds me of one of my favorite authors, Thomas Harris. Hmm. Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon are two of my favorite books, period. Oh, yeah. Great this, book. This book, I, uh, Children of Chicago, I'm like, you got special. You know, yeah, I need to read it still, but I love her. I want to say one thing. I would say this is the one thing that really freaking sucks about being a publisher and a writer. I don't have time like I used to yeah. to read for pleasure. I have a whole pile of books. I buy and buy, and I it, can't it read It breaks them. my heart. Like, I'm really – I think she's awesome. Like, yeah. we yeah. published in Ma- – and, and I would love to get a copy. And it's like – it's just – I know – because you know, reading submissions, I'm doing, I'm freelance editing, and I'm editing. It's really harder for me to read, whether it be friends, fellow colleagues that I'm inspired by. I would say that's the only tragedy of this being like a gig now. This is like a job for us now, you know. Well, when you're reading for work, it's not that. It's fun. a lot it's harder really... to read for pleasure yeah. now, and it's. I don't. I miss it. I miss being able to just. I'm be, reading my Dark Vanessa right now. Yeah, I'm she's actually that. found some time to read. I'm. Oh, nice. I've manuscripts i'm enjoying that and it's, it's just, hard for me to want to read something though like that you know i have a lot so of so many good books yeah it, and i buy them i yeah, actually will I, buy them yeah we have a whole and pile I, if i get lucky books. i get to read 20 pages and i'm like oh shit i gotta edit that oh no i gotta edit that and then it's just like and then i gotta still write my stuff you know i made it i, I, read, I wrote a con stuff. yeah you know i'm doing a book with a dhp uh the western series splatter western I was going to bring that up later, you bastard. You know, and I read a lot. Like, that's the thing. I'm reading for most of the day. I have a copy of The Transition Baby by Tori Peters that I need to read. I need to read that. And it's just, I would say that's the biggest. People are like, is it a sacrifice? That's the biggest sacrifice of being a publisher. It's just not having time to read. Especially as a publisher writer. If somebody loves to read, I just don't have that time like I used to. And I do music stuff, and it's just like I, I, my vacation is half of what I do during them is I read, you know, when I take like a vacation. But yeah. We can, abs- Brent, jump in after me with this because uh, I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off, but we can absolutely relate to that. And it's not, it's not a complaint, it's just a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, I want Cena on right now to talk to her. Not while we're talking, of course, but like right. I would love to record an episode with her and then do another one with her and her husband, which I've talked to with them just about uh, Burial Day. They're public. Yeah. Uh, they're they're press. But there's so many good authors, and it's not picking the favorites. It's just there's 
there's so many friends that write that I have at this point, yeah. and I want them all on, but it, it, it's not possible, and you can only read so much, so me and Brendan focus on the two podcasts we have, those books. I feel you. It, 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 I, I, it's hard. Yeah, you guys are doing a it's great a, job with it, this podcast. Oh, thanks. But it takes time, and you you know, you got a schedule and all that, and it's just, and you're writers too, and it's like, and you, yeah. you know, I think I know you got a kid and you got a pig too. I don't know. If, <laughs> I, that blows my mind in, in its own thing. I mean, I, that's a pig in Jersey. And uh, pig in Jersey. I mean, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. That's a that's a poem right there, man. But yeah, it's okay. Tough. I might it's write that time. I'm hoping that things level out in like 2023. <laughs> so, so in 2023, I'm planning on catching up and do, doing some reading. That's that's kind of where I'm at, you know. So, Brandon, jump in. What uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say about any of this. Yeah, I'm obviously, you know, I totally agree with it. It's you know, um, not being an editor or not running my press. I I, I talk. We talk to enough uh, people who you know kind of dabble in that or straight up work in it that. I would totally imagine there's just that guilt. Anytime you're reading something that you don't like have to be reading, it's it just feels like, well, you know, I have this pile a mile high of shit I'm supposed to be doing. You know, how can I justify reading something for fun? <laughs> and it's like, I'm not, I, look, I made it this way. I'm going to share kind of a secret of what I think has made class books grow at a faster rate than, than maybe we should have is we have open submissions all year round. Mm -hmm. We do a thing though. We don't send rejections. It's no. the only way to balance it. So like if you don't hear from us in three months, it's not probably happening. But that's been a great way to find new talent. So it's open for anybody. And I, I did that because I hate and I'm going to have to do that because I want to submit something in the summer. And I hate having to plan my time around an open submission yeah. period. It drives me crazy because it's like I write in different genres, you know, and I'm, I'm stealing time and it just breaks my balls <laughs> that I have to get something done when, when I, you know, might not have time to get it done, just to fill in the slot. And I yeah. basically, unless it's a huge press, which I'm going to submit this summer, there's a huge press. I've shared it. They're, you know, tour. A big tour. I'll submit to that. I'm like, all right, tour, you know, you're fucking tour. I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, but if it's another small press Yahoo like me, I'm like, eh, you know, you know, I look, I mean, I, I can't hurry to do this, um, especially if they live in Brooklyn. Small presses are Yahoo's. I'm just kind of saying it for fun. But, right. um, you know, for shots fired. Yeah, no, no, shots no. Fired. I love all the small presses. Wait, no. list, off, list off all the indie presses you don't okay. like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually like, I think, almost all of them. Because I, I just have that empathy where it's like, hey, man, we're, we're all... I, the idea Unless they've shit-talked us, then fuck you. But so, yeah, everybody else is cool. No, but, no. I, 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 I Silver like, Shamrock? They're, they're not that great. Uh, Shamrock's cool, man. <laughs> I actually, they're fucking cool. Like, they're, they're doing dope horror shit. No, I, I, I'm... Ken's like, kind of yeah. our boss, a podcast boss, so I'm completely joking. <laughs> we should like all message each other sometimes, but it's hard. We're just busy, you know. We're all do. They're doing their side of things, you know. They're they're really focused in the horror world, you know. We're kind of spread out all over the place, but no, I'm always rooting for other small presses. I I don't 
I feel like we're in competition with ourselves. Yeah. No, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not in competition with I'm anybody. not in competition with any other presses. Except I really, my own, like, like resistance and, yeah. and we, you we, know, the forces of chaos I really, in the universe. I really believe in the idea of being territorial instead of hierarchical, which is like, I'm just looking at my spot, and I'm focused on that. I'm not worried about what you're doing. I'll get mutually inspired. Like, I get mutually inspired by, like, I see Sam Rock's some stuff. I'm like, that's dope, you know, and that, like, encourages me. But it's never like, oh, that motherfucker. <laughs> they <laughs> yeah. that. I get jealous sometimes. I get, I get jealous of presses that are like literary presses that have a lot of money. <laughs> that, sometimes there's like books you're like, oh, damn. Oh, uh, no. It, it, there's, a, there's a good kind of envy. When you see a press put out a book with a, with a great cover, I'm like, oh, I wish I did that. That's a good <laughs> feeling, though. No, that's like a healthy kind of like, and I think there people probably do that with class. And that's a good thing because that's like encouraging me to like, you know, just keep working hard. Like, I like that feeling, you know. Um, but I can no. relate uh, as far as the podcasts go, like with Brian Keen's Sahara show. That like, was an amazing podcast. Not, no jealousy, but like hey, super entertaining. Not the news section because that is uh, a weight no one, I think, would want to carry besides <laughs> yeah, that crazy no. Irish bastard. But yeah. um, it, that and this is hard. Me and Brendan are both fans of those shows. And it's like podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Entertainment wise, it's like inspiring. Yeah. No, I think I think mutual inspiration is what half of this is all about. Yeah. You know, I think that's a key word, you know, and I, I, I'm going to get all philosophical, like you fucking Aristotle and Nietzsche. They said that's the highest form of friendship is, is mutual inspiration. And that but that's what art should be about. It should be about mutually inspiring each other. You know, not like, oh, you, mu-, you know, it's stupid. Like, a, what, you know, a guy. Pa- I, if you're like that, like, the, honestly, that just shows how small you are. If you're everything, like, you're just looking like, oh, I want that. That's not me. Oh, like. It's, it's not know, a good way you to You obviously be. are not very focused. You're not yeah. very grounded. And you need to get your shit together. Yeah. Like, focus. Super insecure. Like- yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's too, you know, like a guy, we, we, you know, a press that was in our circles is funny because he, all the, all the genre people hated this press, you know, because he, because he's like, I don't want to work with agents ever again. And people are like, that's a red flag, you know, but uh, he passed away. You know, he was Gian. a Gian of Tyrant Tyron. Press, a, a, lit- a great literary press. They published some amazing, amazing groundbreaking yeah. shit. Yeah. You know, and he, and he was, a, he started he was shit a online. He but, was a you know, but it's like, yeah, he was a you know, that guy's gone now, you know, and it's like, yeah, he passed up. You know what I mean? It's like, that's week. the thing, people pass, you know, a lot of these stupid jealousy squabbles, shit, it's dumb because, like, you know, somebody might pass away and then it's like, I mean, it's tragic. You somebody you, that he started a whole thing with, like, you know, she's like, fuck, you know, my friend's yeah. dead now, and like, I just realized now I it always, was so dumb that we like lost our friendship over like and I, agent bullshit. I was really uh, you know? heartbroken when uh, I don't know if you guys know him, Dave Barnett, who started Necro, a great. Heart, he died recently. Yeah, as well. great heart. Yeah, yeah. Only like a month ago, I think. Yeah, yeah it was it, it was heartbreaking. It was he was such a good dude. I I met him, and I was just like, you know, I wish I got to know him more. You know what I mean? Like. We were, you know, kindred spirits. You know, we're both doing presses. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just overall. That's how I feel about GM. I don't feel I about. I'm not into that high school shit, man. I'm just like, dude. I got too much on my plate, and you know, I. It's just dumb. It's just dumb if if that's the mentality you have. I'm I'm looking to get mutually inspired. Yeah. And I think like. And it's work. You know, work. It, it's some of it. So much of it is yeah. work. Like, do you really want to make it even more stressful than yeah. it already is? I like, think we're all part of the same ecosystem, and it's like what what how we act 
will make the ecosystem yeah. better or worse. And I want to make it better. You know, divided we fall, united we stand. Because yeah. we're, yeah. I'll say one more thing. Like, I don't hate corporate publishing. I actually am looking to get an agent again, so I'm, I'm not going to try to bite that hand. You know, <laughs> but that said, you know, we're not corporate corporations, you know, in the small press and indie world, whether it be self-published. And I have love for self-published writers, too. Part of what class... You started self-publishing. Yeah, I was self-publishing. And, class, and technically I had a, a joke book that broke out, and that gave us some money. And, uh, you know, I wrote under a pen name. I wrote a... Stupid, yeah, a joke book. It was an erotica joke book. <laughs> Politi- uh, like, it was LGBT erotica. Yeah, but it was... Uh, but anyways, like, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think, Jeez, like... Jesus. I think it's all about Jesus. Oh God, yeah. I wrote basically the book was called Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron and the Crocodile of Chaos Magic. Yeah, <laughs> it's about Kirk Cameron hooking up with a crocodile. And... I mean, it's about more than that. Yeah. Well, they don't need to know the whole damn book, you know. But anyways, read it. I just want. There's a lot to dive into there, so I'm just <laughs> going to pick one thing, and that is where uh, you're talking about people that passed away and they left a mark on you. Um, for me, that's Jack Ketchum, Dallas oh, man. Yes, yes. I wish if I could bring back one author, it would be that man, and I would just want to have a conversation with him. That's yeah. a sad one, man. You know, yeah. he, he was a special. I was lucky to meet him. I think I met I met him about twice, and it was nothing big. We just talked, and he was really he was really kind and considerate, and you know, just a really good dude. You know, just a really good dude. He, you know. There's a reason why he's endeared in this in the horror community because he was an endearing guy and he was a talented guy and he was always a giving guy too. Um, and I I didn't know him as much as a lot of other people do. I got to meet him a few times, Nikon, and I met him at a another con. I didn't met him at cons. You know, he was always at the horror cons, and you know, which is a great way to meet horror people. Yeah. By the way, I would say if you're in horror, on a side you note, go. go to cons. It's a great way to meet people, and, yeah. and it is something special about them. But yeah, no, I. I that's a tough loss. That was a tough loss for horror. Yeah. That, uh, I don't know. There's nothing we can do about it. I just, uh, he's, he's someone that I'm so upset that I could never meet. He seems like a great human. And another good point to back up something we spoke about earlier is uh, you can write brutal truths and you can still be a kind, uh, endearing person. Um I'd like to talk about John Skip's book that you guys published, the limited uh, 200 uh, signed books, uh, Don't Push the Button. And I see that this has to be an older book. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly very unfamiliar with it, but I did see it on your website, and I saw a uh, quote by Richard Matheson. So that's what makes me think it's an older. That one. He got a quote by He got yeah, uh, some it's, blurbs. It's, it's going He's to gathering be, more. Um, just uh, real quick. It's going to be uh, the 200 signed, but it will be in all, it'll be in bookstores and Amazon and all that good stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, if we sell more than 200, we'll increase the number. Yeah. We'll you see know, if we do, you know, more signed copies, but it's for the copies, but yeah, publishing skip is like a dream come true. It's a real moment of, you know, be honestly, it's humbling. The published Skip, you know, I know Skip. I know I've known him for like uh, seven or eight years. We we shared a room once at a con. You know, he, he he's he, he's you know he's a regular guy to me now. Yeah, you know, we've talked music. We're both fellow musician writers. Um, but that's a dude right there, man. That's a special talented artist. Like you know, he he is a once of a generation kind of talent. And just to be lucky enough to publish him is is pretty pretty amazing. 
I honestly just feel lucky to know him. Yeah. He's such an amazing person. Like, I just did a Facebook post, actually, trying to get to the hit hit our mark, hit our 5,000 mark, hoping people would get a few more of the <laughs> Get skip a few book. skip books. Have the skip but, book. But, um, you know, I he's so insanely talented. And honestly, he's an amazing fucking director. Um, and I wish he could get the funding to just do more films. Um but just as a human being, he just he just blows me away. He just he always has these fascinating stories, and I'm always way too drunk or high to remember any. <laughs> <laughs> and then then I hear them again and again, and the the just the staying power and the fire of this guy. He's been down so many times, and he just. He just won't fucking die. He just won't. He is he's running on fumes. Like he's running on just I gotta create. And he loves to create. He lives every day in the joy of creation. He's making music, he's writing, he's working on fucking screenplays. Like he just he, he won't stop. He won't stop. Yeah. He works every fucking day. He really day. is. You know, he's a real like he just he's one of those guys that and like, he's always pushing himself to go further. To he pushes himself to grow, yeah. even though he's already had hits and done all this cool shit. He's always pushing himself to just go further, experiment I would, more, I, challenge I, himself. I started even though I have way too much shit on. All right, I'm already doing, but I did start, and I want to just give it a shout out. I did start a podcast. Um, plug it. Talk about it. Uh, paragraphs and power chords. It's brand new. It's on the class. But there's an episode. It's on the class books channel. We just right now. Yeah, it's on, he did an episode with Skip. Yeah, and it, and it was amazing. It was a really special episode. We so talked he about wants to talk about more. with basically writer musicians. Yeah. Um, about how they kind of live their twin passions. Yeah. And was Skip fun. is definitely yeah. somebody that does that. And Mallerman, too. Hopefully, Yeah, Mallerman I'd love to have Mallerman on down the he's road. He's got his band and shit. Yeah, um, yeah he's maybe a cool got a, get a nice intro. Mallerman actually wrote the intro for, for uh, the Skip book, yeah. the skip book yeah. which was awesome of him totally to do. Cool. That's really cool. Um, I like Skip's episode in the first season of Creepshow. I forget the name of it, but oh, that, yeah. his and Mallerman's uh, episode were my favorite. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I just think that if anyone's listening that hasn't seen the uh, reintroduction of Creep Show, check it out. It is it's great. It's fun. It's fun. It's old school Creep Show. Yeah. Yeah. Brennan, you got anything to follow that by? No, I'm going to totally sidestep. So uh, I noticed on your site that you said you live in a haunted bungalow, and I got to hear about that. Wow. When did I write that? Huh. I don't know. <laughs> All the ghosts. See, okay. Um, okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> uh, what do you want to know exactly? I mean, it, it it's haunted. What what don't I want to know? Okay. Um, <laughs> fuck. You just opened a massive can of so worms. I want to say that she very much <laughs> believes in ghosts and astrology. I don't believe in any of that Quotation. shit. I don't believe in any of this shit. Floating around his head. <laughs> you know, but we have a room basically that we it's named right after the ghost that supposedly you know lives here. We literally call it the ghost room, which I feel like Hazel's I've gotten room. swindled. No, we call it into, room. Yeah, it's Hazel's room because Hazel's a ghost that lives here or whatever. Uh, I don't she doesn't know. live here. She visits. She visits. Whatever. <laughs> God. Where does she live? Um, I mean, she lives in Troy, I guess. Let me see. She I lives can... in New Jersey. In Troy. Tr- in Troy. Troy, New York. Um, oh, I thought that was in. Isn't isn't <laughs> there a Troy, New Jersey? 
basically no by Al- we're by Albany. we're by albany yeah so it's oh. like uh, upstate yeah. okay um, basically what happened was the night before the house we came here we moved here about a year ago so the night before you know give or take a few months the night before the house inspection I had an extremely strange dream in which I felt like I was having a ghost visitation. And I can't explain why I just had like, oh, shit, this is a ghost. This is not like a regular dream. Um, She gave me a book. And then um, a couple weeks later, a friend of mine dreamt that I gave him the book. And it was the same book, same title. He opens it. Let me get some more water. Her name is those. inside. Hazel I drew. Inside. It says Ex Libris Hazel I drew. So he Googles her name and he finds that it was this 20-something uh, governess that worked in Troy and who was murdered, uh, unsolved murder. So this is a hundred-year-old, you know, uh, roughly unsolved murder. Um and she was the real life inspiration for Laura Palmer of Twin Peaks. Um, if you see some interviews with Mark Frost, he talks about how his grandmother would tell him ghost stories about Hazel Drew because she, his grandma lived around here. And she's like, don't go in the woods. Hazel's haunting the woods and shit. And so she, her story, her real life story of this 20-something governess that it seems was probably like either hooking or like close to it on the side with powerful, the elite of Troy, like government, like Republican, like governors and shit of Troy um, was murdered. And it's not, nobody knows why, and it's not explained. And um, if you scour murder podcast or mystery, unsolved mystery podcast, it's coming up, it's coming up more and more. Recently, a documentary was actually made locally, Who Killed Hazel Drew?, um, where they try to unravel the mystery, and there was a book about it. Um, and I think there's supposedly another book coming out soon about it as well. Um, so me and my friend, <clears throat> um, we uh, started investigating it. And um, as we started investigating it, he came over when I was kind of uh, moving in. Um, and we went to her grave. We did all this stuff. She started to come and talk to us. I do think there's something here about... There's something there because I don't deny it. I don't totally deny that there is a ghost here, and that there's not just one. There's a few. There, okay. Well, I'm I'm actually this was crazy. Um, and it's not Hazel. It's some guy. Um, me and him were in the room. Oh yeah, that was fucked up. There was nothing playing. TV was off. TV had auto shut itself off in the living room. We were in the bedroom just talking. We didn't have any music playing. There was nothing else. We were just sitting there having a conversation. And suddenly this deep, low man's voice breaks in. Sounds like he's coming from the living room. And he's saying, did you hear? Yeah, that was fucked up. That and was... we, we literally both stopped talking. Yeah. He, he stopped. I, we're like, what the fuck? Like we got interrupted from our conversation because of this super loud ass guy saying, did you hear? And I'm like, what? And we came out. We're like, what the fuck? So we came out to the living room. TV is off. Christoph opens the door, looks outside. He's like, oh, maybe the neighbors, you know, somehow (laughs) something carried over some shit. You know, obviously that doesn't make any sense. So 
And that's a second man voice. Brett, your drummer, stayed over yeah, the night. He and he said, he said he he heard a guy say, stupid. <laughs> 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 Same deep man voice. He hangs out right here in this room. Yeah. He hangs out right, right here. Yeah. But the Hazel thing, I mean, what's cool about the Hazel thing is um, we're going to be doing a book about it. I'm publishing it. And my friend who I've gone on these detective supernatural adventures with and we've had these encounters with her in dreams in real life on all kinds of levels that i guess i can't go into right now um uh he's writing the kind of like a true crime he's he's he has a theory and we we saw the guy so it it really checks out it's very it makes a lot of sense nobody has called this suspect and all the people that have researched it, it's the most obvious person, but nobody has tapped them. So this book, he is going to find, he's finding all the circumstantial evidence he can possibly find to place this guy at the scene of the crime. That's um, he's almost done with the research. And, um, you know, basically Hazel came to me one night. I was on acid, but um, <laughs> she was like, She's like, tell my story. I need you to tell my story. I need you to say who really killed me. And I'll help you with your press. And I'm like, we got a deal, bitch. So that's what we're doing. That is interesting. Brennan. Oh, no, I was going to say pretty much the same thing. I'm very interested in that book. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, he did a really good job, and it's beautifully written. Um, the the author is Jerry Drake. He was actually in the True Detective Antho. He had a beautiful story in Tragedy Queens. He did, yeah. It's a gut punch. Like you, the end of the story just makes you feel like you just got punched yeah, in the it's heart. Yeah, a great story. He's a great writer. He's got kind of the, that southern style yeah. of storytelling, from ta- from rhythm. Texas, yeah. Um, but uh, it's all very well researched, and but with told with a lot of heart as well. Wow. So I'm very excited. And I'm hoping the story wraps up because I'm I'm sick of that bitch being all up in my shit, to be honest. Here's this ghost shit all the time. I'm tired of it. Well, it's not the end of ghost shit, it's just the end of oh, her ghost God. shit. Yeah, it's just like our one thing. We're like very spiritually different, you know. So we, we we've gotten in arguments about it. But, it. Yeah. But I've gotten more tolerant about it. I was I was kind of rolling my eyes, but I I, I you know. I am more open-minded about it. That thing that happened with the guy saying shit, that was like a moment where I'm like, maybe there are ghosts. You know, that was the first time I ever, like, I was like, whatever with this Hazel stuff. Well, the thing with Hazel in this house, so she didn't live here. She lived nearby. Uh, It was like down the street. But um, the last place she was seen alive in Troy um, was a house actually literally across the street um, was her dressmaker's house. And she showed up there late at night demanding that she make her a shirt waist for an important, like, date, um, which is obviously with this guy. So, like, the last time somebody saw her alive in town was very near here. And I have theories about she was in this house. Um, but, you know, th- this was a laundry business, apparently, back in the day. So, And there's a sign out front, like a sign, a metal thing with a sign. We're actually going to put up a clash sign there eventually. We'll put up clash books in front of the house. But um, uh, me and a couple other people that are working on this case with me have a theory that this was a laundry business and that to make extra cash, they would rent out rooms uh, for girls to, like, get with guys in the rooms. 
um, and then that's 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 we why live, we that, live in a brothel laundry house of ghosts. Yeah, that's why that room <laughs> is like a wash with this crazy ghost sex vibes that I felt when I first moved in. Free free book idea, <laughs> poor house of ghosts. Pick pitch it up to class books. I'll take a look at it. Whorehouse, whore, the whorehouse of ghosts. There it is. That's our title. Perfect. Um. <laughs> I snorted on here. <laughs> Christoph, tell us about your. I, I'm sorry. I don't know how to follow up with that ghost story besides it's fucking awesome, and I want to read that book. It's going to be good. I'm very excited. We'll Christoph. Go- true crime podcast and shit. yeah sweet tell us about your splatter western with uh death's head press yeah I'm, I'm writing the first draft of it right now um this is an idea that i've had in my head for a couple years um it's interesting because this idea came to me mm. from a song i was working on with my band the dionysus effect um I we we I ha- came up with a baseline and my guitarist like ran with it and you know he just like put this whole song together and when I pictured the song it made me I like pictured monsters in the desert and that was like a working title and I was like huh it'd be cool to write like a sp- like a western with like monsters in it but I'd have to create my own monsters and this idea stayed with me for a couple of years and I saw like splatter westerns becoming like a thing and i was like you know this is an idea that i could totally use as a splatter western and this idea and i actually was influenced by her um but i i thought of this land that's like a mirage and it's like in this once you like once human beings go in they can't get out and in this mirage it's like built on magic and monsters and there's like rival monster gangs like westerns but with monsters and these different kinds of monsters and you know and I pictured like a boy and his mother fought, wandering in. And I was like, huh, this could be cool. Like, this is really something. And the boy has to grow up in this monster land. And his goal, he finds out that you can finally leave the land if you get the monsters to kill each other. So he kind of, as he grows up, tries to figure out a way to put the monsters against each other. I was kind of inspired by this uh, Western movie in the 90s it's like cheesy bruce willis movie i kind of love though the last man standing yeah, totally so it's like i fucking love that movie man yeah, it's so good it's, man it it's, rules. it's it's not a great movie but it's no, so but it's good so that cool it's so cool <laughs> so like, the last man standing kind of like with like a a horrific sin city like a sin city horror and i i like mixing things together and i came up with an i like her she had this idea of like angels falling and like having angel dust and i was like huh it'd be that's interesting. A drug. yeah it's like a drug but i was like it'd be interesting if this land was like created by fallen angels and the dust of them that like, created the land and like these monsters evolved out of this like ain- literal angel dust and you know it's like made out of magic so there's like succubus type monsters and you know then there's these like i call them the sinisters now because they're like i based one of them on uh mr sinister the X-Men character <laughs> and uh, these kind of like vampiric type monsters and they're all at war with each other. So it's kind of a last man standing, um, but there'll be a nice little fun twist. So yeah, I'm working on, I'm basically working on three horror novellas. Um, I'm working on that. Um, a one that I'm really excited about called mummies in Massachusetts, <laughs> which is uh, basically what it sounds like. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, it's really cool, though. It's, it explores the idea of artists and, and sorcerers and mummies. And the one I'm most proud of right now that I'm going to, I am going to, I mean, I guess this, I don't know if it's professional to say who you're going to submit it to, but I am going to submit it to Tor. The open uh, submission is. Uh, well, the, I'm like a million people are submitting. So yeah. The Ghosts, The Aliens, and The Boy Who Loved a Girl, which is, I, I love this concept. I love that title. I love how that title sounds so literary. It's so literary, but it's a very splatterpunk sci fi horror book. And it's about. Um, Aliens come down, the tentacled aliens, and they've basically conquered the Earth, and they basically take humans that have value, and they go back to Earth to find tech, you know, great tech. And they're like, we've found the greatest tech we think will change, like, the universe, and it's a haunted house. So these aliens take these human beings into a haunted house, and the human beings are basically trying to survive both. And I, I'm really proud of this. I think I've, I've hit a new level that I've wanted to hit as a horror writer so we'll, we'll see what happens tech. can you tell he's obsessed with scientology yeah no i modeled the aliens after uh ron Elron hubbard so there's a kind of Elron hubbard type language he was kind of my inspiration for the aliens um that's but, what he used to watch to go to sleep yeah i like to watch about cults to go to sleep it relaxes me that's now a, he's watching <laughs> yeah so now, yeah, I'm now uh I, down to QAnon. I like QAnon now that's my and that's my favorite cult <laughs> So I watch He's stuff like, about them. Fun. Yeah, I, I just find cults very relaxing to learn about. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, by the way, do you have a Christopher Walken character in your your rendition of Last Man Standing? No, I'm not far enough yet in that book, but there will be something like that. But I've basically I, I outline first. Uh, I outline and write, so I'm I'm like jumping around. I've had so much work to do that I uh, as a publisher that I had to drop drop it off, and I'm trying to get the other book done. But yeah, I, I have to get it done. Basically, by the end of the uh, the end of the year, which I I don't really worry about, but hmm. yeah, nice. Well, I'm I want to read that alien one, but the western sounds pretty sweet too. Uh, Last Man Standing and Hudson Hawk, two Bruce Willis movies I don't really hear anyone talking about. Both nineties yeah. flicks. Um, let's jump into what are you reading? Either one of you can go first. I'm reading my Dark Vanessa. Nice. I've been binging it. Um. It really resonates. Like the character, I read Lolita when I was 15 and got completely the wrong idea. Um, I was like, oh, if I can seduce an older man, that means I'm really powerful because it's <laughs> so hard if you're young to seduce an older man. So I seduced a lot of like gr male grenades just like to like see if I could do it. And it was just not really worth it. Um, uh, so it, it's a little bit triggering because it reminds me of a lot of my own trauma and baggage. But it's really beautifully written. I think it's needed to hear the Lolita story from the POV of Lolita, um, which is basically what it is. It's like I've just been binging it like crack. I just I can't stop reading it. I'll have I'll like put it down. I'll be like, okay, it's two a.m. I have to go to sleep. I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, I was just gonna say there was a silence that I didn't know if anyone wanted to talk. Uh, so yeah, I no, I'm, I'm I'm unfortunately even though I bought two books today, I actually bought two books today, but I'm probably not going to read them. <laughs> Which happens a lot, but I'm reading a lot of stuff in the manuscript. I, I actually was reading a cool—I won't say the title, but it was something in the. So I'll, I'll read a lot of times. I end up just reading manuscripts that kind of make it past the first 
one or five pages. And I read, I finished one that was a, uh, is really cool. It's a kind of a literary horror story, um, and it's just really kind of engrossing about a a boyfriend who is a shitty boyfriend, but he's blaming it on a demon. And I really like this concept a lot. I was like, this is, and it's very clash. You know, we like that kind of stuff with a little feminist texture, but adds a horror element to it. I'm always interested in that. So I've been reading that and I really enjoy it. I read part one. She actually has two, three, two more parts that I have to read. So um, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that. So looking forward to read part the two last, and three. The last book in the submissions that I got very excited about <laughs> it's called The Pussy Detective. <laughs> they made a show about that. It's called Shaft. It's like that, except <laughs> he goes there. He really goes Yo, there. So I'm, I'm reading. It, I, it blew me the fuck away. I'm reading a submission. And we, as you cannot, we, we try to find a balance, by the way. I'm going to say kind of a, not a secret to our success, but a balance we, we try to find. We try to, like, be strategic while still not giving a fuck. And that's kind of how we balance our press. Like, let's do what the fuck we want to do, but let's be smart about it. But I got this submission, and I'm like, it's by a, a voodoo priest. I'm like, all right, let's 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 see what the fucking voodoo priest has to say. Yeah. He's like, I'm an ex-escort. And I'm like, oh, this guy's interesting. I'll give him that. He's like, I wrote a book about the puss, about, called The Pussy Detective. And it's like... I'm like, okay, and, and it's about women missing their lost vajayjays. That's what he said. <laughs> the lost I'm like, I don't even know what this lost, is. No, he said lost or missing. Or so missing. That's different things. Lost is different, missing, apparently. But I'm like, you know what? This this Because I'll get a lot of normie books, you know? I'll get, like, <laughs> boomers that are like, let me tell you about the 60s. <laughs> and I get, like, a million of those. And I fucking hate the 60s now <laughs> except for the music i don't want to hear about the goddamn 60s yeah, but I'm that's who it. loves to submit yeah. boomers want why the ultimate 60s <laughs> novel and and they they don't have it it's they're not going to do it <laughs> go to this right about the 70s i'd actually run to hear about the 70s yeah. but i digress but i get this <laughs> book, has a 70s vibe actually and i'm like Holy shit, this is, like, for real. I'm thinking, like, maybe this is a prank or no, something. No, we were reading the first, like, few pages, and, and we were I'm just, like, dying laughing. Like, we couldn't be- We were reading out loud to each this other. It's hilarious. We're like, I can't believe this is but real. But I'm like, this is one of the most unique things I've ever read. Like, this is just so pure. I couldn't and stop reading it. The lang- Like, the eubonics are, like, really interesting, and he's, yeah. like, capitalizing words. Yeah. And, and it's like, this is, like, poetry. Yeah. Like, a black exploitation it's beatnik, it's beatnik be- shit. Well, I'm like, you know yeah. what? Take a look at this, because this might actually be worth publishing, just because it's I kept the uniqueness. It. Yeah. So I think for us, it's like we we want to. Obviously, we love good horror. We love good stuff. But we also like books that are like, what the well, fuck the is thing, this? The thing is, like, but I this kept, I gotta you gotta keep. Reading I mean, it. I kept reading it, and I realized this 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 was really a story, even though it's really funny and raunchy and like ridiculous in certain ways on the surface. It really is a story about um, sexual trauma and trying to heal that. And I was really moved by that. And and I love that it's it's sexual and mystical, which I don't yeah, see much in anything because yeah. that's pretty much me. I am very sexual and mystical. Yeah. And it seems very hard for a lot of people to process that. Like they just think, well, religion or sex. And they don't like think of how the body is the spiritual vessel that we express mm. ourselves through. So it was so we're gonna we're gonna fucking publish this thing. Yeah. So that's uh, awesome. 
we like to we like to do some shit that's in left field. I think that's just kind of what we do. We'll, you know, we'll publish some great horror, we'll publish some literary fiction, and then this a book like we did a book last year, and they always we always put them out at Christmas. Like last year this, we got this one's coming out this Christmas. Yeah, like last year we got this book called Fifty Barn Poems. Yeah, just poems about barns. And it was the funniest fucking thing I ever read. Yeah. It was like these poems, these like barns are rad, dude. Don't die in a barn. Like I'm, yeah. it's like that. And I'm just no, like, and the great thing was when I talked to Zach Smith, he's like, "Well, I'd never written poetry before, and I know anything <laughs> about barns, so I figured I'd write fifty barn poems." I'm like, I, and I was that. just like, "This is I love, <laughs> I love stuff like that, though. You know, that just feels totally unique and." But that that was also a deceptive surface. It's like, oh, this is dumb and zany, but then like you see that it's talking about things and yeah. it's going towards it something to like place. it goes to yeah i love that shit yeah i love that so kind we, of we like eclectic stuff you know nice yeah yeah you guys are super diverse and that's awesome um brennan what are you reading sir well first of all i just have to throw out that that i am so very interested to see what it is what you guys end up doing for the cover for the pussy detective um that's gonna be interesting i already have a vision for it um i want like a 70s vibe for sure i want cool 70s like funky lettering that's all i know at this point i feel like honestly the words speak for themselves you know but we'll see when it comes time to do that but i'm thinking 70s vibe and i ran that by the author i had a uh, video meeting with him and he's like yeah totally he's like I grew up in the 70s like yeah. I'm inspired by the beatniks he talked about Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg and black exploitation and like so it's that vibe yeah cool I'll be watching out for that yeah, I'm actually psyched it's fucking I, uh... short it's super short you know you get through it like I read it in like two hours I think cool yeah um I'm I'm actually psyched because what I'm reading right now kind of ties into a bunch of things we talked about tonight. We had uh, a bunch of really awesome guests in in March, like, but we way you know we just we we had so many damn episodes, and you know we looked at our schedule and we said, Pat, you know I got to read nine books for March. How am I going to pull this off? So we kind of you know any any reading for pleasure went out the window, and yeah. you know I read some great books in March, but they were all you know uh, kind of let's call it for work in as much as this is work. So I'm like, you know what? April's here. I'm fucking reading something that I really want to read. So I am reading off season by Jack Ketchum. Nice. I never read that Ketchum book. How is it so far? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me anymore. You know, I'll read that one day before I die. When you're 80. The, fir- the first like hundred pages, you know, it's, a, it, I think it's like, you know, maybe two seventy. The first hundred pages is, I don't want to say it's boring. That's not right. But it's just it, you you have a certain expectation of how his books are going to go. And it's a little uh, the pace is slower than I expected it to be. But then after that, like once it hits, like there is no let up. You don't get you don't get a fucking paragraph to relax. I like that there's a build up. Yeah, that's, that's that shows class. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's awesome, though. So I'm about halfway through it right now. Pat, how about you? Yeah, so that's funny because I picked one book to read for pleasure, and that's Cena Palayo's Children of yeah. Chicago. Yeah, you really need to read that. One of us, one of us really do. She's so it. good. I, I'm talking about Harris, man. Makes me even more excited. I'm a huge Harris fan. He's he's amazing. And yeah. you can ask you can ask Brennan. I've taught, I fucking love him. I yeah. love those two books specifically. And uh, 
I have never made that comparison. So whatever my words worth to whoever's listening, I think she good talent. I would love to publish her. Yeah, I think she knows that. Yeah, we would love to publish her, but you know, we it's a thing though. It's like you know, I'm always like. I don't really have much of an ego because I'm like, I tell my writers, I'm like, hey, if you can go with a bigger press, do it. Because I'm a writer, too. So I'm always like, hey, if you can get get that money, get paid, you know, get that money, get that money, get paid, get those bigger presses. If you can get them, get them. You know, I'm always pro that, even if I want to publish somebody so bad, like. But sometimes people would rather have uh, the freedom. Yeah, we all we can give people freedom. We can't give them a bunch of money, but we can give them freedom Mm. and. You know, they'll you reach readers. Pick your still. Deal. Yeah. What do you want? It's trade offs. I think publishing yeah. is all about trade offs, like a relationship. Life or is anything. all about yeah, trade offs. You know, what, what do you want? Yeah. You know, what do you want more? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, the reasons why, just to kind of push this point as to why I compared her, uh, Palio to Harris, is two things that stick out to me, and you can see it in both their writing, is their journalistic backgrounds. And specifically with that journalistic background, it's in true crime and dealing with maybe this is uh, heartless to say, but broken people. No, no, broken people are fascinating. You know? Yeah, that's why I find serial serial killers are so fascinating for that reason. Totally. Um, so me and Bernie got another show I mentioned in the intro. It's uh, called Unburying the Dead with Kevin McKinley and Kevin Wayne, a.k.a. Well-Read Beard. And uh, nice. the ne- next episode is on Shirley Jackson's The nice. Haunting of Hill House. Ooh, cool. Um, I would love to talk to her, man. Her house is uh, about 40 minutes north of oh, here. Oh, cool. Kingston, Vermont. I actually went over there. Unfortunately, it's not like a museum or anything. Like it's just a private residence. Yeah. Oh, that's bullshit. She's yeah. like an American treasure. No, yeah. that really pissed me off. But I did touch the tree in the yard, and nice. they said, "You have to break the bones to fix them." <laughs> Which wow. seems for her tree. That's okay. That wow. That's deep. <laughs> There's a weird mystery in that area. The story, um, uh, what's it called? Um, crap. Uh, what they hangs a man, hangs a man. Um, what they kind of what they wrap the Shirley movie about or around in the Hulu movie Shirley. They wrapped it around her, her writing hangs man. Um, that story about that girl that goes missing. That's a real story about a real missing girl. Uh, she went on that trail there and went missing. And there's a lot of people that have gone missing on that trail. Yeah. So it's kind of like a Bermuda Triangle of Vermont. So that is actually uh, me and Jerry's, uh, that's the writer of the Hazel book. That's our next project. After we're done with the Hazel book, we're going to look into that and get try to figure that one out, which hasn't been figured out either. Very interesting. So another missing girl. There's like this triangle of missing girls all around me. It's really oh, also cool. my old college. There was a, a ghost that um, uh, she uh, hanged herself there, and she's still there. Um, and uh, her her dad wouldn't let her be with the guy she wanted to be with, um, and she was just hanging around. So it's really weird because this hazel thing has like looped me into this whole circuit of like all these missing girls around me. It's all in this weird New England area of like a New England. It's like Bermuda a New England triangle. Bermuda triangle. Yeah. And like, I'm in the middle of it. And like, 
you know, I'm in this house here and they're like, hey, you have a means of telling our stories now. And they're like, just like real living, just like living people. Like You can make a real uh, career out of just that subject. I mean, we want to do, he, he wants to do a series, actually. He wants to do like a Lost Girl series of just pursuing each case one by one and, and doing each case. So that's what we're going to do once we're done with Wrap Up Hazel. Please, please let me and Brennan know about that as soon as you guys got something to read, because that's up our alley, big time. Mm. Yeah, I'm psyched. I'm psyched to get the Hazel book wrapped up, man. It's because we are suspect. We were we he came over when the, the documentary came out very recently that they made locally. And they were like, oh, we've got a sus. We've got the guy. We've got we've got new evidence. Blah, blah, blah. So we like got a bottle of champagne and we were watching it. We were like downing champagne. Like crazy. We were so nervous. We're like, fuck, fuck, they're going to have our guy. And they were so off. Their research was so weak and sloppy. We're like, all right, all right, we're cool. We got this. But, um, you know, I'm excited because this is going to blow up the true crime community because people keep talking about this case, but nobody knows who it is and they don't have the evidence and he's actually doing the research you know we had supernatural experiences that's not what the book is about that was how we knew it was real and that's how she made us see it was real and important for us to pursue but all the evidence is researched so it's happening definitely definitely i'm very interested in that um there's a few other books i'm reading right now um about 70% through Whistling Past the Graveyard. It's by Lex H. Jones. Uh, it's a collection. It's it's a bunch of awesome short stories put together from a seance to a futuristic uh, horror. Um, then going back to Ronald Kelly's uh, Zebra Writer from the Zebra Days. If you do not know what Zebra horror books are and you want to learn about some pretty awesome times in uh, horror paperbacks, Check out Zebra Horror books. One of them is uh, Ronald Kelly's first with them. It's called Hindsight. Carla has second uh, sight. Sees horrible things. It's a nice. it's a gift and a curse. Um, that's all I got for reading. Um, <clears throat> there's so many other good books, but in due time. So where can people follow the two of you and Clash Books? Um, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, Clash Books is just Clash Books. Um, the website, clashbooks.com, is where you can find the books, as well as Black Telephone Magazine is on that website. Um, you can see Sina Palayu and all the other talented, amazing people who we've published. Um, they're all online, or you can get the actual hard copy of the first issue of Black Telephone. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> we're on all those platforms with our names. So just me, Lisa Cantorell, and he's Christoph Paul. Um, I'm, I'm pretty active online. Um, yeah, you are. You are too. I'm active. I also, I would also say, uh, <clears throat> I have an album dropping in probably June, my debut, my band's debut album. Nice. Um, and I also do a podcast. And your I band really, is the, the Dionysus, Dionysus Effect. effect. Uh, we're, we're a rock and roll band. I actually did a nice episode. Uh, I do a podcast where we talk music and writing uh, called Paragraphs and Power Chords. And that's and on Clash Books TV I on had, YouTube. Um, which, and we have other stuff yeah, on Clash there. Books, I have um, this like witch thing, witch TV, where I talk about witchy things with uh, a couple other cool people. Yeah. 
Nice. I have um yeah, I had Ronald Malfi, who's an amazing horror writer, an awesome rock and roll guy. It's really yeah. my favorite episodes. I really want people to check that out. We like nerd out uh, horror and rock and roll for an hour and a half. It's a great episode. Like I really want people it's a new podcast, so it's like and I'm just so busy that I don't really have time to promote it and like, hey, check out, you know, you guys are awesome at promoting your your podcast. I, oh, thanks, man. But um, yeah, really check that out. I check out the episode with Skip or Ronald. Like those wow. are really badass episodes. Oh, um, you bet. I'm definitely yeah. gonna listen. The first episode of uh, Witch TV that we did was about Nexium. So we talk about that cult. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about it, but it weirdly was nearby in Albany. Um, Mark Ren- Keith Ranieri. He actually went to Rensselaer, which is right down the street, and he ran this cult where, you know. Basically, uh, what's her name? Allison Mack pretty much yeah. ruined her life because of this stupid cult. Um, yeah, we'll do other stuff. We're going to tackle the secret next. I'm going to try to read the secret book so I can like kind of get into that. Cool. Wow. Yeah, check that out. Um, guys, give me the, when we're done talking, send me the links for anything you want. We'll put that in the uh, episode notes Sweet. so people can check that out. Uh, just a final plug for ourselves. We have merchandise now. We have a shirt, a mask for when you're out in public, a notebook, and a few other things. Go to deadheadspace.com. There is a tab for the uh, store. You can get my ugly mug on, uh, commissioned by Todd Kiesling. So check it out if you're into that. Um, final thoughts, uh, either one of you or Brennan. Oh, I just noticed you're wearing a Dunder Mifflin shirt. Yeah. I love that. Love I'm obsessed office. with the office. I've yeah. watched it so many times. Yeah, me too. That's what I go to sleep to. <laughs> that is what I went to sleep to until I took it off. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, final thoughts, Christoph? <laughs> um, you know, it's fun doing this with Lisa. We we really are a team. We'll We'll, we'll get annoyed at each other at times, but we love each other, but... I really think, you know, seeing you guys too, you know, I think one thing I'd like to say is in writing and art, it's a lot of times finding that other guy, so to speak. It's like a sports term or the other person, um, you know, it really helps. It really helps to have somebody you can kind of work with. I think writers and editors, uh, podcast people together. I think the one thing that I think gets misconstrued is that writing is a solitary act. And it is to an extent. But I think it it makes it a lot easier when you have somebody, whether it's a beta reader, an editor, a fellow writer, you can bounce things off of. And like I talked about the mutual inspiration thing, that's a huge thing. Uh, that's always the best way to go. And um, I mean, we we edit each other. We're each other. Yeah, we're editors. each other's editors. So we we edit each other, and and, and it's, her I, skills, my weaknesses are her strengths, and vice versa. You know, and I think that's the thing. Um, you know, look for somebody who kind of can help you. Who stri- like uh, who has your weak? Who ha- the who has your the? Nah, ah, I can't speak because I'm getting tired. Somebody who has like your weaknesses. Look for somebody <laughs> who has the strengths you want. I think I'm saying it right. You know, I and I think that's an important thing. And, and you know, we have a community and we can talk to each other. And it's a big world now. You know, it wasn't like that always. Like 20 years ago or 30 years ago. You know, there's not message boards. Like it's a lot easier to to contact. And you know. Um, make friends. I think it's it's important. 
you know, find that mutual inspiration and find that teammate in one form or another. And be humble so that you can take yeah, edits. <laughs> that helps too. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, I started the show by myself. Uh, and I told Brennan a few episodes in, I'm like, this show wouldn't be anything. I don't know if I'd have almost, we're going on a hundred episodes in a little over a year. I don't know if I'd do that without Brennan. I don't think I would. I don't think I'd do half the stuff I'd do without him. He is my rock. He's one of yeah. my best friends. And he lives in the in my home state. I moved to South Jersey five years ago. And I meet him years after I move away from where my my hometown was like 30 minutes away from his. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so yeah. I appreciate that. I, I kind of hope some people see this podcast as like a kind of a buddy comedy at times because yeah. um, <laughs> he's like I, I mean he's like my brother i love him i will fight for him every chance to get um lisa any final thoughts um yeah it's been uh great to be on yeah you know you. it's been cool talking to you guys it's uh, this is a uh, the first time that we got to do one together yeah. so that's really neat um it, it's it's we do do this together and i feel like sometimes people uh you know either they think that i am the entirety of clash or they just know what he does or you know whatever and you know clash really is a joint thing it's our our joint visions yeah. and our joint work um and it, it wouldn't exist without the two of us, we, we make it what it is because we're both doing it. So, um, I don't know, balance in all things, yeah. I guess in life. Absolutely. Brennan, final, final thoughts, sir. I mean, obviously I want to thank you guys for giving up, uh, like two hours of your Friday night to hang out with us. We really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, Patrick, I knew I could uh, trust you to jump on that that teammate thing. And, you know, just to kind of piggyback off that, you know, we, we talked mostly you talked mostly about podcasting. But, you know, I know that I can shoot him a text anytime, day or night and, you know, bounce off anything that's going through my head, personal writing, podcast shit, anything. Uh, you know, I don't there's no one in the world I trust more to send the first iteration of a story or a book to. And I know that the feedback's going to be valuable and he's not going to say he's not going to tell me he loves it if it sucks ass. So, um, you, you know, you can't you can't buy that. So you, you need that. You absolutely need that to do any of the ventures that, you know, the four of us kind of get into. So, yeah. Also, you have a pig. <laughs> <laughs> He does have a I have pig. a mini, yeah, I have a mini pot-bellied pig. It's uh, you gotta look into the area you live. Some of them don't allow it uh, where I live. It's legal. Uh, they consider a house pet. Have a pig. That's so cool. Do you yeah, ever she's... post pictures of your pig? Oh yeah. Oh Any... yeah. We'll, we'll talk after uh, after this. I've been, it's, missing, I've been missing amazing pig content all this time. She, I didn't even realize it. She's got an Instagram. It's Greta the pig. Um, oh my god, I'm following. She's almost four, but um. I was going to say something. You know what? We haven't talked about this publicly. I'll cut this. Brennan doesn't feel comfortable with this, but Brennan uh -oh. and I <laughs> Brennan and I share the same brain, and we ended up writing a book together that is 166,000 words, and we did that in eight months. Like, I, It was the smoothest book I've ever written. Um, nice. And the other thing is, one day he asked if I'd 
be in charge of his literary state if god forbid he were to pass and i'm like absolutely because i wanted you to be mine and that you don't just try like i love my wife i trust her but she wouldn't know what the hell to do with it if if i pass away unexpectedly so you need someone that i know he'll do right by my family like he knows he'd do right by me and you know i feel comfortable telling you guys that um i I, you two get it you know he's my hetero life mate (laughs) that's so beautiful let's end it on there um this was I want to thank you both too, as well, because me and Christoph talked months ago about doing this. I wanted both, we, we, you know, me and Brent both wanted to have the two of you on, but why not kill? We both, you guys run Clash Books, so it only made sense. Um, it's an honor that you both were the first married couple on here. We've never had, we've never had a couple on at the same time, with the exception of Alan Baxter and his wife, because she did cover art for the Gulp, his latest collection. Oh yeah. Um, that was fun, but that was that was only for about ten minutes. Uh, so this was pretty sweet. This was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we're yeah, yeah, yeah. And keep us in mind uh, for future authors and such because totally. we obviously have a lot of exciting things coming out. Now, I w- before I, you know what? I know I already asked everyone for final thoughts. I'm about to sign out, but does anyone want to say any final things? <laughs> final, final thoughts. Final, final. <laughs> I feel like I've said my piece. Okay. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I feel like we're living in a really exciting time for literature and culture, yeah. honestly. There's just, like, right. so much mixing happening, so much cross-pollination. Um, it's just really exciting. I would just like people to just not, you know, stay in the little safe little playpens, you know, try to explore outside of your comfort zone of genre and like the 10 people, you know, like, you know, expand yourself. It'll grow you as a person and as a, as a reader and as a writer, and it'll make literature as a community thrive. If we do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The old saying, uh, you know, I was going to butcher. I was going to say something about rising tide. I forgot it. So never mind. <laughs> uh, next episode is with Mark Laidlaw. He is a novelist. He's best known for writing in level design and on the classic sci-fi horror PC game, Half-Life and the sequels. Stay tuned for that. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. You have many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking us. Deadhead space. I almost said Liza. Yeah, that is Liza. Lisa. No, it's Lisa. Lisa. Okay, I was fucking it up in my head. I'm so sorry. I've never actually pronounced your name out loud before. Yeah, no, it's fine. You got it right the first time. You're like Lisa. God damn it, Pat. Okay, Lisa. I care a lot you more say my first name right than it, my last name. Like honestly, like I said, if you're white, like you're not gonna say it right, so don't even try. Yeah. Did you ever you guys ever see the room? The movie? The yeah. One, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Let's tell me we so. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. like Lisa, like how he no. says Lisa, <laughs> but he says it with an e. It's that's her name. But don't drag out the e. Yeah, that Lisa. won't sound bad. No, Lisa. no, that doesn't sound. You just like a, a a a fast forward Tommy was so. 
So I'm Lisa Cantoro. Annoying to her. Them. I'm just, just being annoying to her. I'm just messing with my don't wife. Don't make this harder. I don't, all right. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>